Life is filled with challenges. From small to large, each day we are presented with a variety of choices. Will we trust God? Will we put our faith in Him? Or will we just simply get by, pushing ourselves to be better and stressing ourselves to try harder? The Bible challenges us to lay hold of the promises God has made to His children. Hebrews 11 paints a wonderful picture of men and women who triumphed by faith. They were ordinary people who believed God and pursued His promises, even though many didn't see them come to pass in their lifetime. Please join us each week as the writer of Hebrews teaches us to navigate this life by clinging to the promises of God while anticipating the return of Christ. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles, whether it's the actual book or it's on your electronic device. Let's take those. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and verses 20, 21, and 22. Before we break into our message this morning, I do want to recognize a couple of things. We have a friend in worship with us today, Ray Gentry. Ray, please stand. Ray is the Associational Missionary for Southside Baptist Network. Uh, He's a friend of Mount Zion and a missionary to us. And we certainly welcome him here today as a part of our worship service. Thank you, my friend. Also, Garfield, please stand up for me right quick. For a number of years, Garfield has been working on his citizenship here to the United States. Garfield has passed that test, and now I welcome him not only as a brother in Christ, but as a fellow citizen of the United States. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. That was a long journey, a journey of where Kristen had to move here from Jamaica for two years while they were married, and it was a lot of paperwork, it was a lot of red tape, it was a lot of things, and then ultimately, a test that I'm very glad that I did not have to take, but... He is here, he's done it, he is, and it's amazing, so congratulations, yes. All right, so let's take our Bibles, let's turn to the book, Hebrews chapter 11, and I've already told you, verses 20, 21, and 22. We're talking today about by faith, and in by faith, we see a legacy, all right? So by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. And Esau concerning things to come. And by faith, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. So by faith. Father, grandfather, great-grandfather. We see generations here of a legacy of people that not only was it passed to the next generation, but we see ultimately in Joseph that this legacy of faith took it all the way out to the future generations that were not only going to come decades, but centuries after where it said, we will serve the Lord. Now, That in itself is an amazing passage of Scripture. 
But if you stood up with that in front of people and tried to preach it, they wouldn't get much out of it because it already has said what it says. So what I want to do today is give you something on Sunday that you can take to work with you on Monday, and I want to take and put flesh on this skeleton of by faith the generations did this. So how do we take what we have read that they did, and how does it become a part of our DNA? You say, well, Pastor, I didn't have that, so it's not there for me. Well, if you didn't have it, guess what? You can certainly begin it. And today, we can change the destiny of our generations that come after us. Simply by today doing what the scripture says, choose today whom you will serve. And so if you had it, build on it. If you didn't have it, start it right now. Men, stand up. Please, all the men, stand up. I want you to join me in praying for us that we would be the Isaacs and the Jacobs and the Josephs of the generations of our families to come. So join me now. Father, we are a decision away from a different destiny. We are a decision away from a different legacy. God, it doesn't matter where we've been but it matters where we choose to go from here. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray for the men in this room that you would turn their hearts to you. God, I pray our hearts, my heart, to you. Lord, I pray for the men in this room that you would turn the hearts of the fathers and the grandfathers to the children and the grandchildren. And God, I pray that we would understand the doctrine of grace that says it doesn't matter what, what we've done, that today that we can be cleansed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for each one of us that if the decisions of our past have caused division, Lord, that you would show us, even right now, how to bring healing into our lives, God, that we would learn how to, first of all, submit and surrender ourselves to you. Secondly, that we would learn how to walk in peace and harmony and in godliness with those that, that have been offended. And Lord, I pray that we would learn how each day to renew our walk so that we're not relying on a walk of a yesterday, but we're relying on a fresh word, a fresh indwelling of the Holy Spirit into our lives. So that there can be a renewal of mind, of attitude. And that, Lord Jesus, that there would be the testimony of this room. That we and our houses serve the Lord. So, Father, as we learn about on this graduation day of leaving a legacy, I pray that that legacy would be one of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. Thank you for praying. Now, we understand what a legacy is. By faith, this one gave it to that one, and that one gave it to the next one, and the generations that followed had a 
testimony of faith. Now, you're going to find something interesting if you dug into these guys' life. You say, well, I'm not these people. Well, if you read their story, it wasn't all that excellent at times. They were people that had failure. They were people that had to come back and surrender. And they were people that had to believe in a promise that was coming because they had not yet seen it. So, in other words, they were us. Male, female, doesn't matter. They were us. They were real people with a fallen nature who had to depend on an infallible God for their healing. So understanding that, now, turn in me, turn, not turn in me, don't turn me in for anything. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, just a little bit of a, a background to get us into this passage. We know that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans to the church at Rome, to the people that made up the church at Rome, to a place that he had not yet visited. But he was writing to them about all the things that they could have in Christ, and once they had Christ, how they should live their life. So verses... One to eight, I mean, chapters 1 to 8 is about all the things that we could have in Christ. It is about the salvation that we obtain through Christ. It's the forgiveness of sin that we have through Christ. It's the being set apart or the sanctification that we as believers can have from a system that's contrary to the word and the way of God. Now, chapters 9, 10, and 11 are kind of parenthetical, meaning they're there and they're part of it, but they're not really in the true flow of the book. So 1 through 8 tell us about what we have and can have in Christ. Chapters 12 and following are about the principles of walking with God. In other words, because you have received and because this can be available to you, this is now how you apply it in your daily life. In other words, Paul gave us something on Sunday that we could take to work with us on Monday and now live out this life that we all say that we seek and desire. So let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 in the context of leaving a legacy as a people of faith. So let's go. It says, I beseech, great word, I urge, I implore, I plead, I beg, I ask you with all fervor that I can muster. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that what is, what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. He says, I urge you to be living in the will of God. Now, first of all, we've got to understand what it means when it says the will of God. Is it obtainable? Yes. Is it something that we can know? Yes. Is it plastered on every billboard and around every corner and on everything that we approach? No. It does take seeking and it does take submission 
and it does take asking. But it is something that absolutely everybody in this room can have. So what is the will of God? The will of God is God's plan for your life. That's what he was telling us in Romans 1 through 8. It's God's will that you be redeemed. It's God's will that you experience the forgiveness of sin. It's God's will that you be set apart from a system that is contrary to the way of God. It's God's plan for your life. It's what God intends for you. Now, as a kid, if you wanted ice cream from your parent, how did you get that ice cream? You asked for it, right? You walked in the room, hey mom, can I have some ice cream? That's how you discovered if it was a yes or a no or a maybe. You inquired. Well, we inquire of God the same way. God, here is my life. What do you intend me to, to do with it? God, what is your plan? What is your purpose? Now, there are some things that are absolutely known, and we can know them for every individual who is a follower of God. It is God's will that all should not perish. He wants everyone to be born again. That's the will of God. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then you can know that for your life, salvation is inside the will of God. We can know that it's the will of God for believers to be assembled together with other believers. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Can you give me solid proof on it? The scripture says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together with the brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can know that it's God's will. We can know that it's God's will for us to love one another. How do we know that? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, everything in you. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Turn to the person next to you and say, hi, neighbor. I love you. I love you. See, you just practiced the will of God. You looked at your neighbor, this person that's next to you, and you said, hi, I love you. Now... That could be a somewhat flippant. It could just be words out of our mouth. And it's good words to come out of our mouth. Because so many times the words that come out of our mouths are words of hate. But it can take us to another place. Where we let the actions catch up with the words. And we begin to demonstrate that love one for another. So that's the will of God. It's God's plan for your life. It's God's purpose for your life. It's what God intends for your life. And some of it is universal. There are things that God intends for all of us. There are some of those things in God's will that are unique. And that comes by walking by faith, not by sight. Leaning not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledging Him, and He makes your path straight. It comes by seeking first the will of God, and then all of these things are added unto you. That's how we get it. And it takes time. And sometimes God immediately says, here's my will. Sometimes God says, that's not my will. And God says, sometimes trust me and let me show you my will. Let me reveal it to you. And God's silence is not God's absence of working. 
there are things that God needs to perfect in us. And so a slow revelation is not a failure on God's part. It may be absolutely the very best thing that can happen. Sometimes God's will is made clear to us in our failings. You go out on your own, you think, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it my way. We're going to pull a little Frank Sinatra here. I did it my way, and we get out there, and we've done it, and we are like, yes, I made it. And we're like, oh, I wish I hadn't. Because what we got was really not what we wanted when we started to pursue it. And God says that he loves us, and because he loves us, he disciplines us. And so sometimes the discipline of God can be the will of God. Because it's a corrective measure to bring us back to center. All right? So that's it. So when we think about leaving a legacy, when we think about making a difference, when we think about the generations to come to know that they can see it in our faith, they can see it in our victories, they can see the, our faith in God, our trust in God through our failings at times, but in all ways it comes in submission to God. Now, the next thing that I think we should define is the word success. So, give me some words. Now, I know I'm the preacher asking a question in church, and Sunday school answers are what you want to throw out there. But let's be real just a moment. Let's take back the veil and let's talk. Somebody help me define what is success. Money. I love it. Thank you. I'm sorry? Attainment, excellent. Money, attainment. So an attainment of a degree, a milestone in life, um, attainment of position or prestige or prominence. Anybody else? Any other words that come to your mind? Yes, sir. Status, okay. For the Cubs winning the World Series. It took forever, Rick, but they got there. Yes, but that is a success and partially Every one of those words are a definition of success. We have enough money to take care of our family. That's success. We graduate, we reach a milestone in life. Partially, that is success. And we have status or we have attained things. Yes, that is success. I moved a lot as a kid. My dad loved to live in a house until he finished it. And then just as soon as he finished it, he really thought that house needed to be for sale. So in the first 15 years of my life, I lived in seven, seven maybe, Gail, seven, six or seven different homes in Dawson. Now, you got to think about Dawson. That's like living on every other pew in this church. There really are not that many houses. And so, like, where are you moving to? I don't know, but we don't need a truck. We're just going to take it next door. But that's... And so there was nothing wrong with my dad as a business, buying, selling, getting a bigger house, and that kind of thing. But that was only a partial definition of success. For the believer, success is what Paul is teaching us about here. He says, I urge you, I compel you, I implore you, by the mercies of God, to submit Yourself, so that you may prove what is the good and perfect, acceptable will of God. So for the believer, for everyone in this room 
who has named the name of Christ. Success for you, complete success, real victory, is not only do I have a job, not only have I reached some milestones in life, not only do I have these things that I can be proud of, but now I have taken all of those things that I have accomplished and I have baptized them under the Holy Spirit and I have said, Lord, all that I am, all that I've accomplished, I owe it to you. And now, God, if you have blessed me, I want to give it to you because I want to use it for your glory. That is success. Because at any time that I take something of my life and I say, all right, God, here it is. This is, this is the whole load. This is Chris. And I want you to have everything in there except I'm going to take this one and I'm going to hold it out. You see, now I am not, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, I'm not a success. You got to put it in, and you got to surrender it, and you got to say, here it is. So don't labor under false, and false belief. False belief is not, is that. Because God has allowed it in my life that it's not success. No, it very well could be success. The determination of success is what have I done with it for Christ? Only one life and it will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Okay? So that's what we've got to understand. So the will of God, we got it. Success, we begin to understand it. Now, if we take this passage of Scripture, I believe that we can now pull out three truths that will help us to understand how to have a life that is pleasing to God. And step number one to a life that is pleasing to God, based on the teaching of Paul to the church at Rome, is first of all, there must be surrender. Now, there's a lot of words you could put there. You could put commitment, you could put submission, you could put sold out, you could put under the lordship of Christ. There's a lot of things you could put there. But ultimately, I'm going to use the word, there must be surrender. So let's go back and now let's look at the passage. It says, I beseech you, therefore... Now, I've told you this to the point that it's not even clever anymore. But anytime you see a therefore, you want to know what the therefore is there for, right? Because it tells you that there is some previous action that has taken place that now demands a new action on our part. So, I beg you because God did something back here that is going to call you to a different behavior now. He says, so I beseech you, therefore, brethren, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God. Let's stop right there. He says, so I implore you, church, by the mercies of God, that you take on a new behavior. And what is the new behavior? That we will prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. He said, but because of something God did for you. And what did God do? It was his mercy. So let's talk just a minute about the mercies that God has done for us that would, uh, that would give him the right 
to demand this of us that would compel us to do this. Okay? So the first mercy, and you could pull out many, but I'm going to use these. In Romans 3.24, a mercy of God is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Simple chorus learned in childhood. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. He died for me. Simple song, deep truth. It's a mercy of God. While I was separated, while I was an enemy, while I was a stranger, and while I was an alien in the kingdom of God, he said, I'm going to die so that you can now be a citizen of heaven. That is a mercy of God. He did something for you. Another mercy of God, Romans 5.8, Jesus completely loved while we were still sinners. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you want me, the best way to get me to do something nice for you is for you to do what? You to do something nice for me. Because, one, I'm going to feel indebted. Like, oh, they did something nice for me. Now i got to go do something nice for Marcus. But God said, when you had done nothing at all nice for me. He said, in fact, just the opposite of doing something nice for me, you were an offense, an affront. You were despicable to my holiness. But yet the love that I have for you is so great that I am now, in spite of you, I'm going to die. That is a mercy of God. Man, God died. God loved me. He didn't say get good and then you can come into the kingdom. He said, no, just right where you are, come into the kingdom. Amazing. Romans 8.1, Jesus does not condemn us. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that there still is not the call for repentance and the need for confession. But it says that while our fellowship can be damaged, our relationship is always secure. I am a child of God. I will be a child of God. I belong to to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that is forever sealed by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross at Calvary. And it is based on nothing I did and all that he is. That is him. So I am not condemned. I am redeemed. And because I am not condemned and I am, have been redeemed, Paul says, carry on. Come to Christ. Another mercy of God Jesus does not ever leave us. Now here's a hard question. Have any of you ever been left? I'm not talking about you just didn't make the bus in time. I'm talking about abandoned. I'm talking about forsaken. I'm talking about a place that you should have had complete and utter confidence in remember the feeling or maybe you were the lever 
And you remember, and you've been redeemed, and now you remember. Man, look what my decision caused. Or, or maybe you were the offended. Oh, can you, I just can't even bear it. But what the scripture says is that no matter what, that Jesus will never, ever leave you. He is a consistent and always present lover of your soul. That is God. And Paul says, based on that, by these mercies of God, I knew I was missing my stool. I need it for just this moment. Um, it would be like Gail and I sitting at the house. It's a cold, wintry night. The fire is burning, the blankets pulled up, and everything is cozy inside. And it's late. It's past that time that anybody should knock on the door. And all of a sudden, we hear that knock on the door. And I go, hey, you get it. No, she goes, no, you get it. And I'm like, no, I'm warm, you go get it. And finally, I get up and I go to the door. And there, standing at the door, is my mom. And she's shivering. And she's hungry. And she's cold. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And she says, can I come in? And I say, why do I want to let you in? I'm warm. My life is good. And she reaches and she pulls and she says, do you see this gray hair that I gained by nurturing you? By that mercy, would you let me in? I'm still not convinced. And she holds out her hands and her hands are, are frailed and they show the, the signs of arthritis. And she says, by these hands that changed you, by these hands that protected you, by these hands that prepared food for you, would you let me in? Now, you would have to be a cold, heartless, no good, worthless, I don't know what you want to say for the rest of that description, but you would have to be no good not to say, hey, mama, come on in the house, right? That is what Jesus is doing. He says, by the mercies of God, look at the holes that were put in my hands so that you could be born again. He says, look at what I left so I could come and walk among you without sin so that you could be redeemed. And he says, look what I did. Look what I did. And how could you not at that moment just say, Jesus, come. By the redeeming, merciful blood. He says, surrender to me. Amen. Everybody in this room right at this moment probably thinks, yeah. And so how did I get here? Because Satan is a liar. He is a deceiver. And he begins to make us think that those things that, that God did and that Jesus did for us weren't that big a deal. And he begins to make us think, well, I've got this thing figured out. My way's a good way. My way's the best way. Oh, just watch what I can accomplish and watch what I can do. And then you turn around and you see the trail of tears and the path of destruction. And he says, let me in. 
So Paul says to us, I urge you by the mercies to present your body to Christ. And then we go back and we see those mercies. We talk about them and we begin to understand by these mercies. He says present. And I think that surprises me somewhat. I think what I really want the Lord to say there is, hey, Chris, because of those mercies, write me a check. I mean, let's be honest, right? Hey, God, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and so to feel better about what I did, here's a 10. Or we would say, I would rather him say, why don't you get up and, and go to church and be there 15 minutes early rather than 15 minutes late? Hey, God, look, I'm on time. But that's not what he asked for. And you say, well, does he have the right to demand surrender? And he does because of the mercies that he showed to us. So how do I yield this body to him? I say, Lord, here's my mind. Lord, what it thinks about. If it's not pleasing to you, I don't want it in my life. Lord, here's my eyes. I'm going to look at those things that are not, I'm not going to look at those things that dishonor you. Lord, here's my mouth. Mind, eyes, mouth, ears. Lord, I'm not going to listen to those. And why would he say body? Ultimately. Because if God has my being, he has me. And so if I want to understand this, this idea, this thought, this thing about leaving a legacy and that Paul is teaching us, first of all, there must be surrender. But there also must be separation. Keep on reading with me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a, a living sacrifice. Holy. That's through the blood of Christ, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Separation is a word that shakes us up. Let me just even be more honest than that. Separation is a word, Thomas, that shakes me up. Because when I hear that word, I think I'm going to have to dress differently. I think I'm going to have to talk differently. I think I'm going to have to, to do things differently. In other words, I've got to put myself like in this holy bubble that's, that's only a germ-free thing. And I'd be like little bubble boy. And I don't want to be bubble boy because I want to go live among people. And Jesus never told me not to go live among people. In fact, he did just the opposite of that. He said, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. And he said, I tell you what, when you throw a party, don't throw a party for the people that can throw their own party. Go find people that can't throw a party and invite those people to your party. So he did not tell us when he said, do not be conformed, and he said to be separate. He didn't say not to be among people, but he said, as you go among people, go with a holy mind, holy ears, holy eyes, holy righteousness. 
and walk among them. You see, because the scripture tells me that as believers, those who are wanting to leave a legacy, those who are wanting to make a difference, who are wanting to present their bodies as we're instructed by the passage, the scripture says that we have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is not the terra firma. It's not what I can walk out and pick up a handful of. In fact, the, the scripture would say that that actually declares the glory and the wonder of God. That's what it teaches. And so he's not talking about that. He's talking about a system that is in opposition to the ways and the will and the purpose intended plan of God for your life. He says, avoid that. He says, also the flesh. You say, well, what is the flesh? I want what I want when I want it because I want it. And it doesn't matter who it hurts. I just want it. And let me tell you something. Those are two formidable opponents. Peer pressure will make a sane man be a fool. My flesh, not submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, will cause me to act like a hellion. It will cause me to act like I never knew who God was. Truth. I probably could get a witness if we could get honest. Or if it was rated for church. But you understand what I'm saying. There's an enemy there. And Paul says, if you don't separate yourself from it, you're going to be conformed to it. Can I prove that? I actually think that I can open my Bible, and I think that, that I might actually can do that. I think we would find that in Romans chapter 6, wouldn't we? That your life can go one of two directions. So let's look back at Romans chapter 6 right quick, if my memory is working with me. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, ooh, there's that word again, so something back there. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. So now, do you see there's like a fork in the road? And he says, here's one fork if you present your members as members of unrighteousness, you're going to walk away from the plan and the path and the purpose and the intended goal of your life that God has. He said, or you can submit and surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and you will know Him, you will be fulfilled by Him and you can understand the goodness and the purpose and the plan of God. And I've had enough conversations with myself and enough conversations with people that have gone to that fork in the road and they've been down both paths and they always come back and say, Jesus' way is best. I really cannot remember one person that chose to walk completely away from God and they came back and said, I am 100% satisfied. If you know somebody that's done that, then um, write it down and I'll amend the sermon next time I preach it. But I don't think you're going to find that person. We have people that ignore it. We have people that won't acknowledge it. But they do not come back and say, when they bend down both, that they ever regretted following Christ. 
So he says there must be separation. We've got the world that's an enemy. We've got the flesh that's an enemy. And we certainly know that we have the devil who is our enemy. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 7.31, the form of this world is passing away. The value system of this world is falling apart. And you think, I'm wrong? Have y'all ever heard of a group called the Bloodhound Gang? Anybody? Heather, thank you. Somebody's got it. Well, let me tell you, this is what the Bloodhound Gang wrote in one of their songs. Y'all going to say, Pastor, how did you know this? Google is my friend. (laughs) You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. Okay, hallelujah. I'm glad. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Man, they wrote that, put it on a record, put it out there to sell, and somebody bought it. So what they told me was that we are nothing more than animals, and we don't have a moral compass, and we don't have a plan or a purpose from God, so let's just all go act like the fool. Now, that's a problem. So he says to us here, I mean, I say it's a problem, but hear me. It's a problem that, has this bit, that many have been deceived. I would venture to say in some form or fashion, everybody in this room has been deceived by it at some point in time. Because you could fill in the blank to other things. But be not conformed to this world. Conform. What does it mean? I love, I love the Phillips translation. It says this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by a different mold, and that is the mold of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came and dwelt among us so that we might know God. There must be surrender. There must be separation. There must be renovation. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12. And the rest of verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. It's metamorphosis. It's one of those words that actually came from the Greek to the English with a wonderful translation or a a wonderful understanding. It means let the change on the outside be visible The change on the inside be visible on the outside. The caterpillar, the cocoon, the butterfly. The caterpillar wraps itself in a cocoon. While it's in the cocoon, it undergoes a metamorphosis. So that what happened on the inside when it busts out of the cocoon is visible to everyone on the outside. You were a caterpillar before Christ. And then when you became in Christ, he cocooned you in Himself, He clothed you in righteousness is what it means. When he cocooned you in himself, when he clothed you in righteousness, and he did a transforming work in you, he did not do the transforming work in you so that you could stay in the cocoon, but he did the transforming work in you so that you could bust out and be the butterfly. 
and that you could shine the beauty and the wonder and the magnificence of God. So have you reached a milestone in life, whether it's a college graduation, a job promotion, or a financial achievement? He said, I did that work in you so that you could bust out and let people see me. That's what it means to us. He says that there must be a renovation. And then he says something about God's will, and I'm going to close it out. <clears throat> he said, God's will is good. It's the best possible life you could want. God's will is acceptable. You will be pleased with the will of God. Have you ever been to the restaurant and you order steak, and the waitress says when she sets it down, cut into that steak and tell me what you think? You know what I'm talking about? Look at it. Is it acceptable? And you look at it and you say, well, I ordered it medium well, which means just a slight trace of pink inside of it. And you look at it and you go, well, look, they did it. This is acceptable. And he says that when you cut into the will of God and you open it up, you will find it to be perfect. It is acceptable. He says, I don't care what you think is good. But if you cut into it, you're going to find it's acceptable. And then you're going to see when you find, know that it's good and you find that it's acceptable, it means that it's perfect. When you begin to walk in God's will for your life, it's His mercy that redeems you. It's His mercy that disciplines you. It's His mercy that draws you back. And when you find it acceptable and you walk with it for a while, you're going to find that it's perfect. That His purpose and plan for your life is what it ought to be. So how do we get there? How do we take it? Now we've got all this theory. How do we get there? This theory begins with salvation. If you're not born again, you can't understand or live out one thing that I said today. So if you have never come to the place that you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, I can't see in the world how you're sitting in your seat right now. I think you ought to jump up and come running. Lord, save me. It's now. Now's the time. It comes in obedience. The scripture says we're born again and we're baptized. It comes in submission to his plan. He says, I'm not going to forsake the assembling of myself with other believers. I'm going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to unite with his family. So it's salvation, it's baptism, it's church membership. It's doing life together, loving our neighbor. It's not just a fist bump, but it's a how can I walk beside you? How can we walk together? Satan is coming to divide. Scripture says he came to put it like this. That's what it begins to understand. It's a daily walking with God. It's opening your Bible. And I open my Bible. And what do I see? A picture of Jesus looking at me. He says, this is who I am. And this is how I want you to live. Because this is what I've done for you. And then taking it and laying, overlaying his life on my life. And trimming off the edges that are not pleasing to him. It's walking with him daily. Not in what I agree with, but in what he commands. That's how I get there. When I find a place that's an offshoot, the scripture says that you trim the branch because the branch that's not bearing fruit needs to be cut away. So there's some things I need to say no to in my life. 
There's some things that I need to walk away from in my life. There are things that I need to say, God, I like this a whole lot, but because it is not an offshoot of you, then God, I cut it off right now. Because I want your good and acceptable and perfect will to control me. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more, to listen to messages and teaching from Pastor Chris, to contribute through online giving, please visit our website at mzbc.org. Thank you for supporting Mount Zion, where you are welcome, wanted, and needed.